Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and the heart of the Slayer machine, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm researcher and nerd in pain, Dr. Kelly Jones. We're here today to talk about Storyteller, the 16th episode of season seven. Storyteller aired on February 25th, 2003. It was written by Jane Epspenson and directed by Marita Grabiak. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll completely change our entire story. You put your old murder weapon in with our utensils? I washed it. Oh my god. Let's go on patrol. In Storyteller, we open with Andrew starring in his own version of Masterpiece Theater, regaling us with the tale of Buffy, Slayer of the Vampire. It's wonderful to get lost in a story, isn't it? Cut to reality, where Andrew is hiding in the bathroom, narrating his heart out in a handheld camcorder. For God's sakes, Andrew, you've been in here for 30 minutes. What are you doing? Entertaining and educating. Why can't you just masturbate like the rest of us? Andrew attempts to record Buffy in action, following her around the graveyard and the Summer's house with his camcorder documenting the Slayer's story. Buffy tells him to stop filming her, and Anya says what he's doing is pointless. But Andrew believes the Slayer's story should be preserved for future generations. He sways Anya by inviting her to share her unique perspective. And before long, everyone in the Summer's house is in favor of capturing the narrative. Willow says it could be educational for the potentials. Xander thinks the world should know about Buffy's heroism. And even Spike gets on board, acting out his bad boy role for the camera. I thought I told you to piss off with this bloody camera. And here you are giving a thing in my face. You sod off before I rip your throat out and eat um, it. Spike, the light was kind of behind you. Oh, right. Uh, well, this better than- Meanwhile, the Hellmouth seal at the high school is active and up to no damn good, wreaking seven seasons worth of havoc on students all at once, triggering death and destruction and plenty of fire. God, I hope that's not a student. Buffy crafts a plan to make Andrew close the seal and enlists Spike and Principal Wood to help her get Andrew and the knife he used to kill Jonathan to the school basement. While Spike and Wood fight off the possessed students, Buffy plays Andrew in a narrative spin, finally leading him to a true confession and honest tears of empathy and regret. Tears that close the seal. Because I killed him. Because I... I, I listened to Warren and I pretended I thought it was him, but I knew, I knew it wasn't. And I killed Jonathan. Later, back in the bathroom, Andrew records his confession into the camera but trails off when he tries to explain what and who he is now. I killed my best friend. There's a big fight coming and I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't even think I'm gonna live through it. That's, uh, I guess I'm... All right. Dr. Kelly Jones, welcome to Still Pretty. Thank you for filling in for Lonnie this week on this fantastic episode i know thank you for having me back i'm so excited because this episode is so good yeah tell me what you think oh my god this is this is one of my favorites um i saw in your notes it's one of your top five this is also one of my top five uh buffy episodes tom link is just beyond delightful as andrew standing round of applause and and storyteller is so good because it taps into every part of my nerd brain like reader <laughs> writer researcher like all of it because we have storytelling as discovery as the ultimate vehicle for teaching and learning as the source of self-actualization sharing growth understanding and meaning i mean yes please like it's just freaking fantastic <laughs> it really really is i mean it is one of my top five episodes of buffy easily I have been looking forward to Storyteller all season. I mean, all series, actually. Um, I remembered loving this episode for Andrew's ridiculous charm, like beyond. It, mm -hmm. It's above and beyond. Um, but I am triple delighted by the deep dive into visual storytelling that we get here and how it works and what it all means. 
yeah, this this episode is so damn good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And I want to hear your visual storytelling perspective because this well, is this is yeah. a, an area where I don't I, I don't see what you see. So this is fascinating to me. Well, what's funny about that is that's a weird thing to try to do on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, as we were as we were going through this episode and trying to figure out, like, how to talk about it and what to discuss, I realized I don't know how to talk about what I want to talk about with this episode. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. Sometimes with episodes of Buffy, you scratch the surface of the meaning and there's not a lot underneath, right? Like something is meaningful, you know, it's deliberately there in the narrative or in the, you know, in the visual storytelling. But really, they needed to advance a story or a plot point or, you know, develop a character or whatever. There's not a lot of there's there's not a huge amount of depth. Mm hmm. But with Storyteller, I feel like you scratch the surface of the meaning and there's an infinite spiral of meaning (laughs) all the way down. I mean, just the fact that Anya compares filming yourself to masturbation, that could be a 20 minute conversation. (laughs) So at the top of the podcast, I feel like I have to acknowledge that like the genre of Andrew's video, this episode of Still Pretty is going to be all over the place, tonally and genre-wise. <laughs> I don't know how to talk about how wonderful this episode is, uh, partially because there's so damn much going on here. Yes. Yeah, it requires a level of appreciation that I, I sort of don't feel qualified to do. Because I want to break down and point out all the ways in which this is brilliant, but it's so brilliant that I can't break it down. Well, and what's fascinating about that, to me anyway, is what is the point of this episode? Mm -hmm. Like, it's in a season, in a season where there, I mean, so far, it feels like there have been so many episodes where... I come on the podcast and I'm like, actually, not a lot happens. Like, this is an episode where almost nothing happens. And yet, (laughs) (laughs) and yet, what, I mean, what is the point of this episode beyond delight? Like, who is this for? Mm -hmm. I mean, Andrew talks about preserving the story of the Slayer for future generations, right? But in the context of the show, Who is this for? Mm -hmm. We know what's going on as an audience. We know because we've been here all along. Um, So Andrew at the whiteboard, Andrew introducing Buffy, Anya and everyone else. Andrew talking about Dark Willow. I mean, none (laughs) of this is new information to the viewers. Mm -hmm. Very little happens in this episode. And yet... The delight is there so, so powerfully. And it's, I don't know, the delight isn't in what happens or what we learn, but rather in the perspective. Mm. And a big part of this episode to me, like what, what makes this episode delightful to me, I think, is that it feels like the show being a fan of itself. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the the whole point of view is so fascinating. It's so fascinating. So we when we break this down, like from a visual storytelling perspective, right? Andrew is ostensibly talking to a viewer. But in the world of the show, he's talking to himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has the camera view screen flipped around. So he's watching himself record himself, you know, before long before the days of Snapchat and TikTok. You know, he's <laughs> this is this is selfie culture in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's watching himself record himself. He's talking to a viewer, but also to himself. And suddenly we're in a senior level film study seminar because Andrew is speaking to himself in a video mirror. But that mirror is also us, the audience, because we see him 
make eye contact with the camera. Wow. The camera, the camera of the show is also often the camera that Andrew is holding or speaking into. So the camera is the camera is the camera. <laughs> I mean, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. Who who is the audience? Who is the subject? Let's get philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get philosophical. It's amazing. It's amazing. So it feels it I mean, is this fan fiction? Mm. And it almost feels like the show being a fan of itself. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a fascinating audience insertion kind of a POV. The camera is also the camera is also the camera. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Kelly, what 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 why? Why is oh, this so good? I don't know. I just know that it's fantastic. And and when you listen to, I don't know, Brandy Carlisle before you write your podcast script <laughs> notes and you're listening to her sing about the story and you're like, Oh, Andrew doesn't have anyone to tell his story to because he killed the only person who cared. Like, oh, and now he has to tell that story to himself. Um, And I love that. But I also love the fact that Buffy can turn anything into a weapon, um, including the power of story. You know, she's got Andrew like hook, line and sinker. He thinks he's going to talk to that seal. Oh, yeah. And then she's spinning that, you know, what if your blood saves the world? Would you be redeemed then? Like she is weaponizing his distorted story, but she can turn anything into a weapon. So like the Slayer as story. I don't know. It's smarter than I am, but I love it. It's way smart. Like it's 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 really, really smart, which is also just such a fun contrast because up to this point and i think probably even through this episode part of what makes andrew delightful is that he's got this kind of bumbling not so capable you know unqualified supervillain thing going on (laughs) where he is he is making it up as he goes along i mean quite literally a lot of the time he in the course of a single conversation will ping pong from I'm good now to no, I'm super, super evil and I'm doing evil, (laughs) dark things. Like he really is. He really is just making it up as he goes along without a lot of thought and without a lot of planning. Mm -hmm. And yet his episode is one of the smartest episodes, I think, of the entire series. Oh, yeah. Um, agreed. And something that I noticed right away, I mean, partially because we always say who wrote and directed the episode each mm-hmm. week. Like, huh, isn't it interesting that we have a female writer and a female director on this episode? That is such an oddball episode. I mean, it's it's an episode that is literally about an outsider's perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an atypical approach to telling this story that we already know. And it feels like maybe not a coincidence that that narrative comes from two women. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, if you want a brilliant, emotionally resonant, fantastic, thought-provoking episode, give the script and the camera to women. I mean, like, it shut and sealed cakes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, we've tried the male auteur thing. Like, we've tried it. We've tried it. Like, let's give, let's give women the director's chair for a while, please, and, like, see what happens. Yeah. Um. But it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that this, this episode, okay, so this atypical episode also references not just multiple styles and modes of visual storytelling, but also multiple reasons for storytelling, which I don't know, that feels like a very, mm, 
I don't want to gender something unnecessarily, but that feels like a very different perspective in the world of film and television. Yeah. That something could exist, that that a piece of visual storytelling could exist for more than one reason. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that we could, that we could shift I don't know that we can that we can shift genre and format within a single episode and it still feels cohesive because we're coming at it from this unique perspective of somebody who is viewing all of this as an outsider. I don't know that I'm making any sense here. No, it Um, makes total sense to me. Um, and and kind of back to the who is this for, right? We have Andrew telling us things that we already know. This is the Slayer. This is the Hellmouth. You know, <laughs> these are the bringers. We don't know much so, about them. So Don delightful. used to be a key. I don't know what that means. I don't know what um, that means. It's <laughs> one of my favorite bits. But it is it is delightful to watch his explanation of the story that we already know. And I think that is about perspective. And and just hearing someone else. I mean, it's the, the, the whole idea behind writing or expressing yourself in any way, right? Because every story has already been told. Like every plot point mm-hmm. has already been done to some extent, but not by you. And it, it is that unique perspective. It is that unique voice that causes others to stop and think when you can literally look at something from someone else's perspective, your perspective expands. Mm-hmm. And then when you have that being done by someone as charming, as ridiculously charming, this character who I should hate and despise, and I'm like cheering the entire episode, that is just some next level magic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that for me has been the magic of Andrew all along. Yeah. And I've talked about this before on this podcast that I should despise him. Mm-hmm. I really should. He is despicable. In many, many ways. And yet, I I love him and I am rooting for him so hard. And not just in this episode. I mean, in this episode, he is being charming in, in the sense that he is trying to charm an audience. Right. Which is, you know, that that's a whole that's a whole thing to unpack. But I love him. Why do I love him so much? Is it that he's just making it up as he's going along? Like, is that, well, does he just tap into that kind of, yeah, I don't know what's going on either, Andrew. Like, and he does it. Okay. And he does it in the name of connection, right? mm -hmm. Like even his confession at the end, which is so poignant. What part? He confesses not just to having killed his best friend, but also that he knew that it wasn't Warren. Mm-hmm. But he he deliberately ignored that knowledge because he wanted that relationship. That's some powerful stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have Andrew basically floating down the lazy river of narrative going wherever the story takes him, right? With no direction. Mm -hmm. But he is also in it. So like when he's acting out his supervillain self, he's 100% bought in, you know? Yeah. When he's acting out the different stories about why he killed Jonathan, he is fully in. And, And you see him go this like willing participant right in the flow of narrative like I will go where that story takes me and I will go I will buy in to I have literally just hit an anchor and now Mm -hmm. I am anchored and the stories are passing over me but I know where I am I know what's real and like Mm -hmm. that is a very powerful human experience that I think we've all gone through in one form or fashion like Mm -hmm. hopefully not stabbing our best friend over a seal of a hell mouth but to some extent, we have all had to to wrestle with this was the story I was telling myself. This is what is actually true. And and yeah. I think that it just this episode embodies that in such a beautiful way that we all can connect to it. And, you know, in, in some form or fashion. 
Well, and what's interesting is that, you know, so the episode is called Storyteller Mm -hmm. and, you know, ostensibly that's Andrew. But I think one of the most powerful messages about storytelling comes from Buffy. Mm -hmm. So the high school is losing its entire mind. (laughs) And the way Buffy explains that to Principal Wood is the way a thing feels it kind of starts being that way for real. Yeah. Which is very much about storytelling. Like the stories, the, what is it? The story I'm making up. Uh-huh, Dr. Brene to... fucking Brown That's again. Right. With the, you know, <laughs> like just laying the truth on all of us. But, but if I decide that this is the role that I'm going to play, you know, consciously or or unconsciously, I will start behaving in that way. Mm-hmm. If I feel a certain way about my circumstances, that starts to become true. So this, I don't know, there's there's something to be said here about the intersection of story and feeling and facts Mm. and this idea that you know i mean i think we've we've all heard it in self-help spaces in therapy like feelings are not facts right but they also kind of are because Mm -hmm. they're the only information we have about what's going on around us they're they're how we make sense of life Buffy says life is not a story, but it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's so much. There's so much in this um, that it's, I mean, it's just wild. It's wild to me how insightful this is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's freaking brilliant. And And you have a section in here that calls on one of my favorite quotes from Andrews. I'm going to let you run with that. But the whole idea of what are you doing, entertaining and educating? Like, I I can't even begin to say how much that delights me. Uh, And it's presented as a joke. But those two things are so deeply connected. Because you can't educate someone without holding their attention. And, you know, and so... Uh, I mean, I'm not an edutainment fan. Like, I do believe in, in deep thought and, and very difficult academic work. But the the emotional hook into any cognitive space is real. Yeah. And, and I love how that is so honestly and yet lightheartedly hit over the head in this episode. And it just freaking delights me. Yeah. Yeah. Why is Andrew doing any of this? Yeah. And and Anya's the one who confronts him. And the way the way he says entertaining and educating, he does not say it with confidence. He yeah. says it with <laughs> he says it with this like I I am standing up for myself for the first time in my life kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And it's it, I don't I don't know why that's so delightful that he is He's carving out his place in all of this. I mean, he's I love him. I didn't talk about it last time, but but um, Buffy says that he's the hostage and he rechristens himself the guestage. Yes. Which, <laughs> so good. Why is that so good? Why? Because he wants to be part of mm-hmm. this entire thing. He wants to be part of everything that's going on and he's going to use, he's like, well, what do I have to offer narrative? Like he's going to use that to create something to carve out this place for himself. So he says, he's explaining what he's doing and he describes it as, you know, a valuable record, an important document for the ages, a slayer in action. The story needs to be told. The world's going to want to know about Buffy. It's a legacy for future generations. Mm-hmm. Just building himself up and building himself up. But he's not wrong. 
Right. He's really not wrong. And what I find so lovely is that Buffy thinks filming is idiotic, but everyone else has excellent reasons for why the tapes matter, why these these videotapes are important. Willow cites education and training, right? She says Mm -hmm. it's good for the potentials to watch the tapes. Yeah. Amanda and Xander talk about proof of Buffy saving the world. Rona says it would be nice to have a record, which I love. That one kind of slides under the radar a little bit. But the idea that like, yeah, it would just be nice to have a record of this. Mm -hmm. How many times? Oh, my gosh. How many times have I looked at some historical event or even something in you know, my own life or my family history and thought, oh, God, it would be so great just to have a record of that. Yeah. Without ascribing any meaning to it necessarily. Just like, what was going on? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and then Anya mentions future generations. Spike. I love <laughs> Spike's reason. Spike <laughs> says it's good for keeping Andrew busy, which honestly also a valid reason Giving Andrew a project, I think, yeah. is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but Buffy Buffy is the only one who's like, no, this is this is a waste of time. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, and she's the, ostensibly the subject of all of this, mm-hmm. yeah. which is something that as I say it now, I'm like, oh, that's a... There's a whole other dynamic about who gets to say that your story matters. Right. Right. Well, and it's fascinating to me. Um, and in a minute, we're going to get deep into some qualitative research methodology because I can't Hell help yeah, myself. We are. But this I love this Buffy versus Andrew and eventually Andrew and everyone else. Right. About this idea of, of capturing this narrative. Um, And so, first of all, from a qualitative research perspective, Andrew is violating rule one. No one should be the subject. They should be a participant. And Buffy is being put in the role of subject that she did not ask for and does not want. So Mm -hmm. this is a very, you know, you're telling someone's story who doesn't want their story captured and told. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that Andrew needs that as a reason to tell his own story. Like Buffy is the vehicle through which he is going to get to his confession, but it has to be this big elaborate. I am making this movie. I am capturing this. I am hero, heroizing the slayer, Mm. you know, this kind of thing. Um, And then I think it also speaks to that call for creative expression that so many of us feel like I have I have had a thing for photography since I was a toddler I don't know why (laughs) I need to take pictures of stuff I don't know why I'm not going to publish them I don't even know what I do with them but I need to photograph things that happen Uh I need to write stuff down and I always have I don't know where that comes from I don't know what it means but I think a lot of people feel that you know and Andrew just to me, I'm like, yeah, I get it, baby. I know. I'm the same way. Like, I I would be photographing all of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to jump ahead in my notes because I have this quote from the 2002 film One Hour Photo, mm-hmm. um, which is a it's not a well-known film, but it stars Robin Williams in a really, really powerful role. Um as a man named Cy Parrish, who is a, a developer at a one hour photo place back when that was a thing. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but like, just like all the dated technology today. Um, and at one point, Cy is talking about still photographs and photo albums. And he says, if these pictures have anything important to say to future generations, it's this. I was here. I existed. I was young, I was happy, and someone cared enough about me in this world to take my picture. Oh, wow. And I think that there's something about what, so like, why, why, like, why take pictures? Why take video? It boils down to, I care. Someone cared enough about me in this world to take my picture. Andrew films 
because he cares so deeply about all of this. When you point a camera at something because you want, you know, you want to capture it, you want to remember this, but also it matters to you. Right. You don't photograph things that don't matter to you. Right. Which zooming way the fuck back out, right, is a little commentary, I think, on the writer director television relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Like where we focus our stories, what what a writer writes about, what a director, you know, how a director brings that script to the screen. Yeah. I mean, someone cared enough about me in this world to take my picture. Oh, God. That's it's, just beautiful. You know, and what's fascinating about that. And Andrew as a character, and I think part of the reason that I love him so much is that he does care very deeply. Like he's when he is fictionalizing something, right? which he does so beautifully in this episode. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> when he's fictionalizing, he's all in like he's fully playing the role. But part of the reason for that is that he cares so mm-hmm. much. This is Mm -hmm. all deeply meaningful to him. This is all very important to him. And he is so invested in relationship, like throughout this, throughout this episode in particular, he's really, really focused on relationships and how those work. But because he's making it, I think, ultimately for himself and to work on his relationship with himself what he notices and how he relates to other people's relationships is highly specific. So I'm thinking mostly about Xander and Anya, right? Mm-hmm. And when he starts when he starts filming them and suddenly he's kind of in journalist mode. Yeah. But but not really because his whole affect is very couples therapist. Uh-huh. He's couples therapist with a camcorder. But then when he's playing that back, he when he's playing back video of Xander and Anya, he's playing the Anya role in that interaction. Which when you consider that we go on to see Xander and Anya in bed together later on. And also in not not exactly flashback in story told's imagination flashback ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you even talk about this episode? I don't know. <laughs> when we're in Andrew's head with him as he's telling the story of himself and Jonathan in Mexico, we see them in bed together. And you, I mean, you said it earlier. Andrew has no one to tell his story to because the person who mattered most in his life, he killed. Yeah. So there's there's almost a. I don't know. It, it's there's like a like a an overlay of this of the Andrew Jonathan relationship on to the Xander Anya relationship visually thematically like they get a chance Xander and Anya get a chance to kind of wrap up their story Mm -hmm. they conclude their story but Andrew and Jonathan will never get to do that because Andrew killed Jonathan yeah and then has to tell that story I mean he confesses to Buffy but he's really confessing to himself and then at the end he has no one to tell his story to but himself yeah it's so complex it is it it it's just amazing and and i love i mean i kind of love buffy being the conduit to this confession because for her she needs it like this is a practical problem the slayer needs to solve we got to close this seal 
Right. Which means I got to make Andrew cry like real authentic tears or whatever. (laughs) And I love this kind of comparison um, when we look at the role of Buffy. and, And if you look like concurrently of what's going on in Angel, where Angel in his new kind of independent role is about saving one soul at a time. Buffy mm-hmm. is not worried about Andrew's soul. Buffy has to move beyond the relationship dynamic, right? She loves her people, but she is she has this crystal clear vision of hundreds of hundreds of these primordial vampires underneath the seal waiting to come out and kill everyone. So mm-hmm. she she is in a fight for humanity. And, and she has to separate herself and kind of step far away from this very intimate self-exploration and relationship space where Andrew is, is very stunted, right? So she has to push him through this emotional truth, but she has a practical reason for doing it. It has nothing to do with helping Andrew, mm-hmm. which I just mm-hmm. think is fascinating. And sometimes I have a little bit of trouble connecting to Buffy in season seven. But to me, this is Buffy as the boss like she because she is so driven by this vision she has no time or patience for story and and you see her kind of move in in the way that she's um manipulating andrew here first she gets his hopes up you know she's playing on his ego we need you to come talk to the seal you understand Mm -hmm. this language you know and then she gets into this snarky kind of confrontation you know, she says, you stabbed Jonathan to death. What were you trying to do? Scratches back from the front. And and then <laughs> yeah. as you know, she's holding him at at knife point and she goes, she intimidates him. Yeah. This thing doesn't understand words. It understands blood. And then she makes a demand. Stop telling stories. Life isn't a story. And then she dips yet again, once again, as only Buffy can into self-criticism. I'm making this all up. What kind of hero does that make me? Good people are going to die. Girls, maybe me, probably you, which I love. I love the probably you. But yes. she she is saying like, you are trying to capture me as a hero. And that is not the role that I am playing right now. And if I have to stab you in this moment, mm-hmm. I might do it. You know, and Andrew even asks, what if the tears didn't work? And Buffy walks away without answering. And I love that moment. But but what is so great to me here is the fact that Buffy is so anti-story, right? She thinks this is dumb. She doesn't want to capture. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to participate. And Robin Wood, who I freaking adore, is the one who calls Buffy out. So he's talking about her and her friends. And he says, I don't know why any of you should trust each other. You've all been evil at some point, right? <laughs> and Buffy says, well, not me. And I'm like, uh-huh. remember that time you took your sister and all your friends down to the basement and like tied them up and tried to kill them? But like that story, her story is I have never been evil. And she doesn't even yeah. realize that she's doing some of the same kind of narrativization that Andrew is doing. Yeah. And I just, oh my God, it is so fascinating to me to see her carrying such an impossible weight and resisting so hard the very reason that she's carrying that weight, which is humanity, which is about the stories that we tell ourselves and others. Like, this is just so good. Yeah. Well, and just, I mean, just the insistence that there is no time for story because there's no time for emotion yes which is what we got from her last week but it's still all emotional like underneath it it's still like she yes she's very much in this like boss mode i mean i think i think you nailed it she's in like business space almost like it's not you know like if i have to stab andrew over the seal it's not personal it's business exactly and it's certainly not to help him yep she's not trying to get him to you know have this emotional you know empathetic realization you know she's not trying to heal his wounded relationship with Jonathan and himself by making him feel what Jonathan felt. She's literally like, we have to close this seal. Yeah. 
And if I have to kill Andrew, I absolutely will. Um, but that is still all narrative. It's still part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I love it so much. Um, but then, of course, like I have to get full on nerd, qualitative research philosopher geeky because, oh, oh my God. Well, and this is why, like, this is why when we need someone to fill in on Still Pretty, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> because while I'm like, oh, the visual storytelling, like, as we bring Anya into the narrative, we zoom in on her. So she's literally brought into the narrative. You know, I'm doing that. You're like, okay, but philosophy <laughs> no but I love how you do that because you're right like and I don't see that part but what I did see was in the opening masterpiece theater sequence which is one of my favorite things that has ever been on television ever like this Andrew in masterpiece theater I oh, just god it's so good and just like I I have to stop you before you even start and just like shout out to production design yes like the beautiful melding of Andrew's Andrewness with this highly recognizable, like even if you've never seen Masterpiece Theater, like you know what they're doing here. It's oh, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. Down to the fact that he chokes on a pipe in his own imagination. Okay, <laughs> why is that so perfect? It's why so is it like? Okay, because when he's a supervillain, like when he's rewriting, like, yeah, I was a, I was a supervillain, he's center, like, like central in the frame in his like monochromatic black suit tie. Jonathan and Warren are his sidekicks, like dressed in, you know, they're dressed in like civvies and he's wearing a suit. And yeah. He's so suave and so perfect, you know. <laughs> What is it? In my plan, we are beltless. Like, it's so good. So brilliant. He's so cool yeah. in his own imagination. But in this masterpiece theater opening bit, he he chokes on the pipe he and then gestures the pipe. so awkwardly in yeah. his own imagination. Yeah. It's so it's good. Genius. It's so good. So, you know, but in this opening shot, right, we move from a bookshelf to a table to the chair. And on that bookshelf, we zoom in on Nietzsche. And I'm like, okay, pause. So we <laughs> move from Nietzsche to an open comic book. And I'm like, all right, pause again. So, you know, Nietzsche was a German philosopher who greatly influenced modern Western intellectual thought. And his work and his life story have been weaponized. His sister essentially gave his theories to the Nazis. Uh, Nietzsche died very young and his sister um, was sympathetic to the Nazi party and she repurposed a lot of his work. That was not his intent. Uh, so it was badly, badly weaponized and misrepresented. Um, but he has still had an amazingly strong influence on modern thinking and modern visual storytelling. See the Matrix and Arrival for examples, but <laughs> two of your faves, no I know, big deal. like this is no coincidence, <laughs> right? But Nietzsche uh, philosophized about the death of God, theorizing that people could create a narrative of life centered around people instead of centered around God. And he basically encouraged a literary examination of the human experience. He believed that each of us must craft our own understanding of ourselves and the world through self-realization. Like, that was his pitch. Understand yourself in the world by understanding your story. So the fact that they opened this episode with a shot of Nietzsche's book, I was like, oh, my God. Like, well done. Just all the applause. Like, oh, please, yes. Um, and, the, and the quote that I pulled, uh, this is from Nietzsche's book, Human All Too Human. He said, however far man extend himself with his knowledge, however objective he may appear to himself, ultimately he reaps nothing but his own biography. And I'm like, yes, that is what this episode is about. Because in Storyteller, <laughs> right, we are watching Andrew process his way from fiction to the truth about himself. Mm -hmm. If Maslow had a hierarchy of story, we are watching Andrew climb it like a jungle gym. Like, <laughs> It's so good, right? 
So we're, he's starting out as a documentarian or a reporter in the house in the graveyard, right? Yeah. The story needs to be told. I document. I don't participate. And the fact that he walks out of the kitchen right when Buffy starts explaining very dangerous and important things is so goddamn funny. It's so perfect. It's I don't. Oh, it's so perfect. It's so perfect for him. It's so perfect for the show. Yeah. Be Okay, it's the show being a critical fan of itself for yes. a minute. It's so good. And 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 then we see him as a teacher historian at the whiteboard explaining, you know, everything. And then he says, due to some circumstances, the seal got opened up a little bit recently. So you have the academic third person POV mistakes were made. Yup. And no connection to himself at all. Yep. I'm like that is just chef kiss flawless, right? Yes. So good. Yes. And what's genius is that he's realizing in the moment. Like it's he's doing it live. Like he didn't plan to I don't I don't think he planned to write himself out of that story until he got to that part yep. and realized, oh, I can't really explain this without he's it's mm, I can't explain this without implicating myself. So I have to live on the fly. Yeah. Erase yeah. myself from this. It's so, so brilliant. It's so good. And then we see him shifting into director mode when Spike is acting out the bad boy evil vamp, which is just delightful beyond words. And Andrew's like, Spike, the light was behind you. And Spike repositions and does it again. So we, yep. we have Andrew as director. Yep. Then we have him as like Barbara Walters interview counselor. Xander, how do you feel about leaving Anya at the altar? And then we've got the human interest piece, you know, Dawn is the sweet face and here's the relationships and the romance and then him rewatching and quoting Anya and Xander and him imagining sexual tension between Wood and Spike when Wood actually wants to kill Spike and missing the sexual tension between Buffy and Spike is also so good. <laughs> and deliberately sidestepping Willow and Kennedy after setting up that yeah. relationship to fanboy over Xander's construction skills. Although uh, there is that is the one moment in this episode that I'm like, nope, I nope out. There is no way that they would not hear him talking and stop making out. That would not. It, anyway, well, I don't know if you're deep enough into the making out, you might not hear. Yeah, but that world. making out is not. <laughs> yeah, mm, I know. No. I did like, though, that the point of that shot was not objectifying the lesbians kissing. Like, that was actually kind of fun. Um, but I do think they would have heard him. Um, so then he shifts into this dramatization, right? Flat out liar, turning yes. his past into mythology. I was once a supervillain, you know. And But the rewriting of his encounter with Dark Willow is amazing with that original footage and Willow's real dialogue. It's genius i mean and when i say that this is about fan fiction that's part of it mm -hmm. the way that when we write fan fiction we are we are participating in something that has already been made and shaping that into a narrative that we want to see the yeah. reason he rewrites that is that's how he wants that to go mm -hmm. oh yeah. it's it's brilliant it's brilliant and using the footage i mean great move just you know yeah. from a yeah. budgetary perspective <laughs> yeah. but it makes it 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 points up exactly what he's doing there in the way that he is shaping the story around how he wishes things had gone because I don't think he really sees himself that way. He's not fooling anybody really. I he don't has, know. He has a very strong aspirational self. <laughs> like I will give him that. Yes. And, and then we see him shift from that flat out fiction writer space into participant observer, but dude, you're doing it wrong. 
So mm-hmm. he is a participant observer. Like he participated in the killing of Jonathan, but he is trying to now reframe that as an outside observer where at first, oh, Jonathan was possessed and I had to kill him in self-defense to, oh, no, I was possessed. So this is not my <laughs> fault. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's he's trying now to rationalize like what happened. And then finally, when he is held at knife point, he becomes a truth teller. Then yeah. he gets into memoir. You know, I knew this wasn't Warren, but I wanted it to be. Um, and it's the moment when that shifts into this is what Jonathan felt that those tears. So not just regret, not just self-actualization, but empathy yeah. is what closes the seal down. And oh, my God, like I can't even. And then and then it just gets better. Right. Because we could have ended there and I would have yeah. been satisfied. But no, no. No, no, because Jane Epsonson is brilliant. We move from memoir to autoethnography. And like, I just have to pause for a second <laughs> and say, oh, my God, like, just so good. So in qualitative research, autoethnography is the methodology of examining culture, right, or some kind of cultural phenomenon, which is the graphy, through mm-hmm. your own life story, which is the auto. So autoethnography is memoir and meaning in a larger context. What does it mean to live these particular experiences in this particular culture at this particular time? So you try to make sense of the world by examining your experience in the world. And Mm -hmm. Andrew is now crossing into that space. He's not ready to do it, but he's ready to begin. Because the very last thing we get is him back in that bathroom recording himself again. And he says, I killed my best friend. And then he says, I guess I'm, and it cuts to black. Yeah. So he has the truth. He doesn't yet have the meaning of that truth. So we see him on the edge of beginning autoethnographic work. And I, I just, I can't, like, I love this so much. And then later, like, knowing what we see of him in future seasons of Angel, you see Andrew so grown, so evolved, a protector of the Slayers, that you're just like, oh, God, well done. Just well done, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So good. There's so much in that. I want to circle back to empathy mattering more than the confession. Yeah. And first of all, hell yes. And I think that that's. I mean, I think that that is literally what will save the world, Mm -hmm. right? If we can imagine how this might feel to someone else. I think that that we would make a lot of progress. Just how would this feel to another person? How did this feel to another Mm -hmm. person? Um, That's one thing. But also, isn't that the point of story like all of this right isn't that the point of why do why why do we film what we film Mm -hmm. why do we write what we write empathy empathy is the most important piece of story and storytelling yeah I mean, I was asking at the beginning of the podcast, like, <laughs> what is the point of this episode in a way? Uh-huh. I mean, other than it is specifically to delight me. Um, the point is empathy. Mm-hmm. Empathy literally saves the world. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. no big for deal. Real, it does. And and I had a section, I was like, some of this stuff is just too delightful. So I made a delight in deep questions that are not actually deep questions. They're just, I love this episode and I don't know how to categorize these things. Oh, yeah. But, but when they're in the basement with Buffy and Principal Wood and that little pig runs by and Robin says, God, I hope that's not a student. Like, I bust out laughing every single time it he is has, so good well and he has so many good lines he, does. he has his line about uh spikes wondering about the weapons and where they came uh-huh. from he's like wood shop i guess it's nice yeah. to know they're paying attention in class i know i love that bit and robin was totally going to stake spike with that weapon 100 percent 100 percent 
Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and was interrupted by, you know, a possessed teenager, as as happens to all of us. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I get this, right? This episode is brilliant. The seal can control people with all its evil power. But have you ever tried to get a group of high school students to work together in unison and in silence? Because I'm not sure there's any force strong enough to actually pull that off. Like, that's my one going, "Mm," like, I believe you can destroy the world, but I don't know that you can get a group project off the ground that seamlessly with teenagers. I mean, the way that a group project works in high school is that one person does it all and then everyone else takes credit. So Exactly. But, oh, God, it makes me laugh. And then I was with Andrew. Like, why do vampires show up on video? What I love is that that is never acknowledged. It's never addressed. I love that, that the question is asked, but then... We just leave it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because we're being self-aware with this episode. Uh. Like things show up on video. Like the the real answer is things show up on video because we point the video camera at them and say they matter. Mm. Right. Taking us back to we videotape and film and photograph the things that are important to us. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like. Through that sort of magic, through the circular logic of magic, they have to show up on video because they are important. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's why. But yeah, like, why do they show up on video? Why do they show up on video? There is a mirror in that camcorder. I don't know. It's just, it's it's so good. It's so good. So, Noelle, what is your favorite part? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, I think maybe the concept Mm. of this episode is my favorite part. I don't know if that can be a favorite part. Of course it Um, can. That might be my favorite part. I mean, I love, I love the whole sequence of Andrew in the basement as writer slash director slash star. Andrew (laughs) zooming in on himself and his whiteboard. What I love about this is that while we open with this beautiful masterpiece theater set and lighting, Andrew's reality is that he's an awkward kid in a basement with terrible lighting and cleaning supplies behind him and echoey audio. Um, <laughs> I I freaking love in my plan, we are beltless. Like, <laughs> for so many reasons. It's such a ridiculous line. It's delivered so masterfully. And it's one of those, it's one of those bits that always delights me from a writer director standpoint of on the page Mm -hmm. that's not really anything like it's funny but the delivery and the way the camera like pushes in on him with so much gravitas like it that just makes it um but that moment (laughs) that moment when andrew is noticing willow and kennedy you know he's left the kitchen just as buffy has started her big speech slash explanation and then he's like oh even willow looks bored and then kennedy comes over and he's like oh this is important and he goes into more narrative about them than we have gotten up until this point which i also kind of enjoy Mm -hmm. that the entire willow kennedy story really comes through andrew but his little excitement over noticing something tiny his this is meaningful look at this tiny little gesture and it speaks to this entire history i'm like listen just call me out next time (laughs) that is literally what i do viewing everything that i ever view like look at this look at this no this tiny little gesture this tiny little movement it means this grand thing in the sweeping narrative that is the no no like calm down like you're bringing (laughs) so much importance to this tiny little thing but that might be my favorite part because that is who i am hanging out in the hallway just like noticing tiny little gestures and geeking out about them Um, (laughs) i don't know I don't know. What about you? What's your favorite part? Oh, God. That opening sequence. Andrew in his smoking jacket, fully living Masterpiece Theater, and then choking on his pipe. It's just sheer perfection. Um, And when he's lecturing about the seal, you know, due to some circumstances, it got opened up a little bit. 
recently. Like a little a, bit, a little bit. It's the a little bit, you know. But the the power of passive voice and why we use it. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's just so. It's God. It's so good. This whole episode is just freaking delightful. So I am so glad I got to guest with you on this one because it's fantastic. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Shipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts. Did you know Patreon supporters who chip in at $10 and up get to attend show recordings live? And we've got a stretch goal. Very soon, we're going to unlock the monthly chip chat where Lonnie will host a private one-hour monthly Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever, no matter what amount you pledge. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now's the time. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Michael, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, you've all been evil at some point, right? While you're waiting for the next episode of Still Pretty, here are some things you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or win yourself a free vacation to the beautiful downtown Hellmouth. Lonnie and I will be back next time with Lies My Parents Told Me, the 17th episode of Season 7. Until then, it's wonderful to get lost in a story, isn't it? Thank you.